Genesis chapter 1 and verse 20. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 20. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. On the fifth day of the creation week, we have the account of God's creating of the animal life which will inhabit the waters and the skies. The birds are created uh, to fly in the atmosphere or firmament which God made on the second day. Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature. Uh, A very literal translation of that would be, let the waters swarm with swarms. So we learn that God is not creating just two of every fish and bird, but very large numbers of each. What is new on this fifth day is that for the first time God brings into being the moving creature that hath life. A being which breathes and has consciousness which lives in a way one cannot say that a plant lives. A plant grows But it does not have life, breath and movement as the fish and birds do. The birds, we are told, fly above the earth or ground in the open firmament of heaven. Which is literally across the face of the firmament, across the sky. We're told in verse 21 that God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. So here we are told of the creation of all creatures which inhabit water from the smallest to the greatest. And the original Hebrew rendered whales uh, refers not solely to the creatures which go by that name today, uh, but to all large sea creatures. Uh, So we are thinking of whales, uh, but also of sharks, and marine reptiles such as sea snakes, turtles and crocodiles Uh, and also reptiles which are now extinct and also of every kind of fish which inhabit both oceans and rivers. And so here 
We are being told about all the creatures which inhabit the waters and which fly across the sky. Each bird and fish is created after his kind. In other words, each type of bird and fish is distinct and has the ability to reproduce according to that fixed distinctiveness. Uh, And God sees that his creative work is good, which is excellent. Here is no experimentation as with the works of men. The creation is a perfect creation. And God has made it for the good of man. Uh, Let us think, for example, concerning the fish, how that many of them contribute to the sustenance of man's earthly life. We can also think of the simple but lovely blessing which God has brought to men through the sound of the birds and through their beauty. In the Song of Solomon, birdsong in springtime is presented as the backdrop to Solomon's love for his queen. And this in turn represents Christ's love for his church. So we read in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, and verse 11. For lo, winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds is come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. This account continues in verse 22. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. The birds and fish are created with the design that they will reproduce and grow in number and fill the earth. Now, in evolutionary theory, the order of appearance is sea creatures, land plants, and then later birds. But contradicting that, God's word plainly states that plants came before fish and birds, which appeared together. And God has sovereign control over the animal world. Uh, And our Lord, of course, referred to this when he declared, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. And so we learn that God continues to control every detail of his creation. Even down to the lifespan of a common sparrow. 
And so we are told in verse 23 here, and the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Now this is the formula used to delineate all six days of the creation. There is a period of darkness followed by a period of light. And the terms evening and morning are deliberately used. And so this tells us that we must be considering literal 24-hour days. Verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. We now come to the sixth day of the creation week with an account of the creation of land animals. And we note the animals are brought forth from the earth. This means that they are made of the same basic chemical elements as the earth is. When animals die... Uh, they are returned to the earthly elements from which they were first created. What was once animal life, when it ceases to exist, returns to the dust of the ground. Uh, Solomon, accordingly, in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 1, refers to the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth. Now, Moses here divides animal life into three categories. Cattle, creeping things, and beasts of the earth. Uh, cattle refers to beasts which can be domesticated and to farm animals. Creeping things refers to insects, worms, smaller reptiles, many amphibious creatures, and small mammals such as mice and moles. Beasts of the earth means the larger reptiles and larger mammals. So included here are for example, elephants, lions, and what would one day be called dinosaurs, although they would not be called dinosaurs until the early 19th century. Each type of animal is created after his kind. As a specific kind of animal, which its offspring will always be. And that expression after his kind is very significant. Uh, a dog will always be a dog. There are many varieties of dog, many different species of dog, but the kind remains the same and is fixed. Verse 25, And God made 
the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Once again, this emphasis upon each animal being made after its kind. Now the DNA for each kind allows, as we have said, much variation within that kind. It allows for much adaptation to environment. Let us think of the many different kinds of cat, for example, different species of cat. But there remains a fixity within the kind. There is no genetic information within a single kind for it over many millions of years to become a completely different kind of beast. As evolutionary theory very wrongly maintains, the genetic information is simply not there. The many species of cat will vary in size, colour, length of fur, speed of movement, and so on. But they will always remain within the cat kind. The animal world which God creates, we are told, is good. And the Lord is also creating a perfect environment for men to live in. Some of the beasts will add to the beauty and wonder of the creation. Others will be highly serviceable to man in helping to meet his everyday needs. We read in Psalm 50 and verse 10, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. And then in verse 14 of that psalm, we are exhorted, offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High. The Lord has an absolute control over the animal world which he has created. And this is reason enough for men to prostrate themselves before him in worship. In another psalm, Psalm 104, and verse 10, we are told of God, he sendeth the springs into the valleys which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. And then further on in that psalm, the psalmist, considering the wonder of God's creation, has to declare in verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are thy works! In wisdom hast thou made them all. 
The earth is full of thy riches. And then in verse 26, we reach what we must call the climax of all God's creative activity. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Not let us make a human being, not let us make a person, let us make man have nothing to do with the anti-Christian political correctness which rejects the use of the word man. God said, let us make man in our image. And let us note here that God speaks of himself using a pronoun in the plural. Let us make man. Now we must not think that God is employing here the pride of speech which mere earthly kings would one day subsequently use, namely the royal we. But we are rather being given an inkling of the reality of the nature of the Godhead, that it comprises three persons. And they are here consulting the one with the other. Three persons yet one God. The Muslim frequently tells us that that cannot be. God can only be one. He cannot be three persons. We respond. We humble ourselves before what God's word says. God is three, yet one. The Trinitarian God resolves to make man with a distinct likeness to himself. Let us make man in our image. Do we realise just how exalted we are as men? Evolution debases us. It literally brings us down to the level of the beast. But man is made in God's image. The animals were not made in God's image. So there is something very different between us and the beasts. The animals do not have the image of God. This is so important that there is a double statement of man being made in God's image. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Two ways of saying the same thing, but vital emphasis. So there is something about man which reflects the nature of God. Primarily concerning man's spiritual nature. 
but even to some extent, his physical nature. After all, the body which God is now preparing for the first man, Adam, would also one day be given to his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is something special about the human body. Unlike the animals, man's body is erect, upright, and upward-looking. We do not look down to the earth. Man has been created not merely as an earthbound creature who will return to the dust and whose existence will be obliterated upon death. Now we love our pets, but let us not get over sentimental. Animals do not have immortal souls, but man does. Man has been created for eternal fellowship with God. This sets him apart from the beasts. And yet, our children in the schools are being told that they are just evolved animals. And they are not even allowed to be told about a possible alternative. It is also interesting that Scripture often speaks of God using the terminology of a human body. For example, we are told that the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. We are told that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Now, yes, those terms are only metaphorical, but they do prove a likeness between man and God. Man, of course, can never be like God in his omnipotence, his perfect wisdom, his absolute authority. But a man can be like God in his personal holiness of life and in his moral disposition. Now we of course assert that all animals should be treated well and not cruelly, and the Bible teaches that as well. Nevertheless, the human body and human life possess a special, sacred and infinitely superior character to animal life. In chapter 2 here in verse 7, we are told that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Yes, we are being taught here that man is created from the same essential physical elements as the animals. 
in that limited sense, humans and animals are indeed on the same level and share certain characteristics. They are of the earth. They are earthy. Nevertheless, man's being made in the image of God sets him thoroughly apart from the beasts. A man can speak. An animal cannot. Yes, animals have emotions and are capable of some facial expressions. But never with the complexity and subtlety with which man is able to use them. Yes, animals of course have brains, but man has an intellectual capacity infinitely outweighing what a beast would ever accomplish. A man can write books, he can paint portraits and landscapes, he can compose symphonies. And even more importantly, man is made for fellowship with God. Man is a moral being. He has a conscience. Evolution cannot explain a guilty conscience. Man has the ability to make choices on the basis of whether or not they are pleasing to God. Now, yes, we've all read about this. Animals can sometimes perform very noble deeds. But no beast can think through its actions on the basis of, is this right before God? Animal passion and instinct must not be confused with the exercise of the human will and conscience. Supremely, man has a life or soul which will carry on when the physical body dies. Animals do not have that. This is why the Lord Jesus Christ said, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. In Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 21, Solomon states that at death, the spirit of man goeth upward, as opposed to the spirit of the animal that goes down to the earth. Man then has been created with an eternal potential. And God says of man in verse 26 here, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Man's superiority over the beasts is again brought out here. 
as he is given dominion over them. You see, man is not himself a complex, advanced animal, as evolution teaches. But he's on a completely different level of creation. A level which makes the animals subsidiary to him. Now the beasts are one of the means through which God has chosen to bless men. And aid men in their existence. But man has dominion over the beasts. The Lord here also gives men dominion over the inanimate creation, over, over the very earth itself. Now in our own day, people don't like this idea of man having dominion. Our modern society is tending to go back to ancient pagan earth worship. But God has given man dominion over the earth. The earth's natural resources are for man's benefit and are to be used as part of God's blessing upon men. Praise the Lord for all the coal he has put in the earth. Praise the Lord for all the oil he has put in the earth. And incidentally, uh, the existence of coal and oil prove the reality of the flood. Now, these resources are obviously not meant to be exploited in a way that fosters covetousness and harm to others. But man's dominion over all created things means that he may apply his God-given wisdom to utilise the earth's natural resources for the common good. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Note again the double emphasis. Male and female created he them. Political correctness says that gender is fluid and that there are many variations on male and female. But the Bible says gender is fixed. And so it is so vital to understand human existence. Man is created in God's own image, created in order to live in accordance with God's righteous standards, in order to glorify him. Male and female created he there. And so it is outrageous that our school children are being encouraged to think that if they feel like it, they can change their gender. That is shaking an angry fist 
but the wisdom of God. We must oppose it with all our hearts. Now, the Christian life is in fact the restoration of God's image within a believer. Because, of course, uh, that image uh, was severely marred by Adam's rebellion in the Garden of Eden. And so we are told in Colossians 3 and verse 10, put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. This is what being a Christian is. It is being restored to the image of God in which man was first created. We are also told here that God created not uh, just a single being, Adam, but also the woman on the sixth day. Here we see the word of God using the term man generically to refer to the first two human beings, male and female. So we must never give way to today's attempts to neutralise this biblical usage of the word man. Man refers to the race, to what we are, male and female. So you can use the word man to refer to a woman. Integral to human life is the existence within mankind, and I'm not going to say humankind, within mankind of two distinct gender entities. Quite different but which together are perfectly complementary. The modern tendency, because of the anti-Christian feminist movement, to deny all gender distinctions, represents a rejection of God's created order. That is how serious it is. And so, as we look at the obsessive moves in our society to deny all differences between the genders, we must see this for what it is. It's the rejection of God himself. And so we see the nonsense of putting men and women together in a confined space on a royal naval battleship. How silly. How unwise. We see the armed forces putting women on the front line. They are the weaker vessel. The Bible tells us so. Are we going to be governed by the word of God? Or by political correctness. Now the fact that man was created. Last of all. In the whole creative process. Shows us that the rest of the creation. Was a preparation. 
for this wonderful climax. The earth, the sky, the planets, the stars, the seas and marine creatures, the vegetation and land creatures, they are all created for man's help, benefit and enjoyment. Whilst man himself is created for the unique privilege of fellowship with his maker. That he might live forevermore. God created man. Man and female created he them. Man and woman perfectly equal in God's sight. But they have different roles. And different qualities. And bring those differences together in the union of marriage. And you have something truly wonderful. Which can never ever be replicated by the world's foolish redefinition of marriage. Which we have seen recently. Acts 17 verse 26 God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth that they should seek the Lord. Why did God create this wonderful creature in his own image called man? In order that man should seek God. And every non-Christian out there today who is refusing to come to the Saviour and believe in the God who made him is denying the very reason for his existence. Amen.